Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. It's been a long time, but welcome back to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. This is Ben, and I'm joined by Steve, so it's just the two of us holding things down. Steve, say... Say hello to the audience. Howdy, folks. It's good to be back. So we're 20-some-odd games in, which puts us well over a quarter of the way uh, into the season, which is really hard to believe. And we got a handful of things to talk about. Um, let's dive right in. And, Steve, I'm going to ask you to lead this one. Let's talk about a little bit about uh, where the franchise is as a whole. What does it mean for us as fans right now? What does it mean to be a Detroit Pistons fan? And what is the, what is the franchise going to do moving forward? Well, it's uh, been a pretty depressing season to start off so far. You know, we've um, we're looking at a five and twenty-one start to the season. We've had a couple of really depressing losing streaks, uh, as we talked about. You know, uh, earlier um, today, today being uh, Thursday, the eighteenth. This will probably go live on another day. But um, earlier today, we talked about there being the longest uh, home losing streak uh, in a single season in uh, franchise history. So all of that stuff is pretty depressing. So when I look at this franchise as a whole, I'm looking at a franchise that hasn't won a lot of games, hasn't won a lot of seasons over the past, what, uh, six, seven years, and um, has made a lot of really uh, frustrating choices, whether it's with chugging through coaches like, uh, like they're just, you know, the actual problem, whether it's uh, personnel issues and decisions and playing guys who just kind of stink and, you know, just frustrating decision after frustrating decision. How much as fans do we owe this uh, franchise? So when we talk about, you know, taking a step back and looking at this franchise as a whole is where we're, where we're at in this season, I know me personally, I was looking at um, this being the season where we finally turned things around and really buying into the hope that Stan Van Gundy may turn things around. Um, with with you, where are you at as a fan these days, Ben? So, for how many years in a row now have I said, there's only so many more games I can watch. And last year, I made it through about 70 games, and then I gave up for a handful. And then Josh Smith got kind of put on the shelf, and then I watched the end of the season. Um, you know, I'm in the same spot this year. When they started off as poorly as they did, you know, I said, I'll give it 20 games. And if it continues to be the Josh Smith show, I'm going to watch other basketball, not because I don't love the Pistons, not because I'm a Fairweather fan, but because, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I just love basketball. It was the first sport I ever played as a kid. As soon as I saw basketball, I was hooked. And, you know, how many more years of just downright awful basketball do we have to endure and you know I, I've said it this year I'm only going to give it 20 games well of course I keep coming back and I, I think I missed one game and you know that I'm, I'm back the next time and I'm watching them last night fall apart 
to the Mavericks and all those kinds of things. But I think at some point, it's not just that the Pistons are bad. For me, that's not the issue. It's that the Pistons are terrible, and they're the worst kind of terrible because they have absolutely no direction. If they were committed to young players, so for example, if they you know, just committed to Caldwell Pope and Drummond and Monroe, and they said, you know, win or lose, we're going to ride it out with you know this, these three guys and a handful of other complementary players and see what we have, I'd be okay with that because that would at least be a clear direction that would signal a path forward. But instead, we have this, this hodgepodge, nonsensical nonsense where, you know, we start the season and we're trying to make Andre Drummond a post player. Well, that doesn't work, so we stop doing that. We start to run the offense through Greg Monroe, but we're insisting on Josh Smith playing small forward, and so that doesn't work for anybody, so then what happens? Well, Greg Monroe goes to the bench, and the last handful of games, Josh Smith has been really up and down, and he's been down, he's been sitting on the bench, and when he's up, he's playing halfway decent, but there's no real commitment to anything. So I think for me, if if Stan Van Gundy could simply commit to a path forward, and that path forward made sense for the Pistons over the long term, for me it wouldn't be about wins and losses. I could I could handle supporting a losing team if there was a clear path and a clear direction to right the ship. But as it stands now, I don't see any clear path forward for the Pistons. And so, you know, for me, it's I want to watch good basketball, and there's a lot of good basketball to be had out there right now. So, you know, I think I'm going to keep I'm going to keep going for a little while. I think because I, it's like a train wreck. At some point, you just can't look away. Um, but I, I'm not going to watch this team for the rest of the season if it continues to be what it is now. I'm going to. I'm going to find someone else in the Eastern time zone to support because I just love basketball too much to be frustrated every time I turn on a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and, you know, I've seen that, uh, uh, too, in a lot of senses, that a lot of times what we're looking at the on court is just a big jumble and convoluted mess. And it's uh, one of those things that whenever I am watching them anymore, I have a lot of trouble figuring out what I'm looking for, you know, like what I want to see. Like... Um, when I, I so my other uh, sports loves are you know really basketball's kind of number two for me. I've always been a uh, I've always loved baseball myself. I'm a big White Sox fan, which uh, I'm probably the only DVDer who is a, a White Sox fan. But um, that's what happens when you grow up in Northwest Indiana. With with the White Sox and uh, also Notre Dame football is also one of my favorite teams. With the White Sox a few years ago, we had Ozzie Guillen, and he basically just checked out. And uh, toward the end of the season, I was just, you know, I was hoping that the the White Sox would lose so that, you know, that the whole franchise would just get fed up with Ozzie Guillen, fire him, and we could just move on as a team. And uh, saw the same thing with Notre Dame back during the Charlie Weiss era. Uh, he had, you know, this huge contract, and so it was going to be a pretty big commitment to get rid of him. Um, I remember they had uh, they lost against some really crappy teams. Um, I, I haven't really, you know, uh, gone and looked into the specifics uh, to research for this point, but um, you know, I'm kind of feeling in a, in a similar point with the Pistons and Josh Smith. The insistence in keeping him having an integral part of the team, especially when there are other options available. When I'm watching the Pistons anymore, it's hard for me to cheer for them to be successful, to cheer for Josh Smith to be successful, because 
any success that he has, we've got a pretty good track record that it's not going to be sustained. And so, you know, the best thing for this franchise is for him to think bad enough, for the team to think bad enough, so that they feel like they have to move on and, you know, do something to be successful over the long haul that doesn't include Josh Smith as a key role. And so, uh, you know, beyond the point of just hoping for a draft pick, hoping for whatever, it just, uh, it's hard to cheer for this team. It's hard to cheer for the players on them, on it. I, I just don't really know where um, where to fall in in terms of the whole fanhood. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you loud and clear. It's hard to cheer for this team as, as I think the key point, right, with the emphasis on yeah. this because the question becomes, it, it link, so thinking back to a year ago, I don't have anything against Joe Dumars the person, even though I've written a lot in terms of criticism of what he's done with the Pistons in the last handful of years. But we reached a point as a franchise where my opinion was the franchise needs to go another direction. It needs to leave behind the old school you know, gut test and eyeball test and embrace some of the new forms and new mechanisms of evaluating players and building rosters and so on and so forth. And so it didn't look to me like Joe Dumars wanted any part of that new wave of basketball analysis. So my thought was, we just need to go a different direction. And, and so for me, it's not that I was actively cheering for the team to lose games, but at the same time, I didn't want the Pistons to go on you know, just some random lucky streak over the course of 15 to 20 games where they go 15 and 5 or you know 13 and 7 or something because I didn't want to have sort of a false hope that Dumars had righted the ship when to me I, I had sort of concluded that the team needed to go a different direction and I think I sort of feel similarly now you know Josh Smith might have a good game every one games in five or every one games in six and that one good game that he has seems to spark this idea that, well, if he could just do that, you know, every night, or if he could just do that more often. But where I'm at with Josh Smith is, he just can't. He can't do that more often, and to hope that he can is a false hope. And so we just need to, to cut losses and move a completely different direction. So until that happens, again, it's not that I'm cheering for the team to lose, but at the same time, if they continue to do what they're choosing to do now, Losing is going to be the outcome, and the more they lose, the more I think it forces Van Gundy's hands, uh, forces his hand to do something different. So if that's the only way to make him make him change things, then I'm not opposed to the team losing because the way things are now, this roster just doesn't work. And with Josh Smith as the focal point of the offense, it's never gonna, no matter how many pieces you put around him. So yeah, I'm not rooting for us to lose, but at the same time. If that's the best thing long-term, then let the losses pile up. That's that's honestly where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That's uh, that's kind of the case. You know, it's uh, a lot of times you'll see the team just really be competitive coming into the, the fourth quarter and just, you know, uh, Josh Smith trots on out. Uh, Van Gundy sends him out to help close out the deal, and it's just, uh, I don't know, It's I can't help but do anything but laugh when that happens. And, uh, and just, uh, well, my, my girlfriend and I, we've got a little uh, thing that we do where, um, where we'll 
say, uh, hey, babe, you'll never guess how Josh Smith is playing right now. And she'll say, wonderfully. And it just, I don't know, it's just depressing being a, a Pistons fan right now. And um, it'd be really great if they just, uh, Stan Van Gundy coming on board really gave us a reason to be hopeful. But since the season started, that there's not really been anything that's been the case. Uh, there's not really been any great push that the team has done that we're really trying to do something different to be successful. Whether it's, you know, making a dramatic change, whether it's making a tough decision, uh, we just don't see it. It'd be just great to see him go against the grain. Say, you know what, Josh Smith has had a terrible year this year. We're going to play him the minutes that he's really earned. And, um, you know, stick Jonas Drabko up there ahead of, up ahead of him in rotation. And, you know, I mean, as much as I like Greg Monroe, he's not been uh, a superb player either, you know. Uh, we've seen some issues in the point guard rotation, and Brandon Jennings, as much as we've had invested in him over the past few years, it, it'd just be great to see a change of any sort that shows that they're trying to do things to push this team in the right direction to really win games rather than focusing on whatever issues it is that keeps the status quo in check, whether it's in regard to uh, Josh Smith or the overall lineup itself or, you know, just the, the vision of this franchise or trades being made. I mean, how long has it been since we've seen a trade? It's, uh, it's, a, it's, not, it's a frustrating time to be a fan overall. Yeah, I agree, and I think this is kind of a natural segue into what we want to talk about next. At the beginning of this season, um, and I would say even earlier than that, um, I was really excited about Stan Van Gundy because he has had some really tremendous success coaching up young players and getting the most out of them. The most obvious parallel to draw here is with Dwight Howard uh, when, when Van Gundy was coaching in Orlando. So I had really high hopes for both Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond coming into the season. I, I really expected to see them starting together with Josh Smith coming off the bench. I expected both of them to thrive, and that really is not what we have seen at all. Uh, Greg Monroe has been okay. Andre Drummond started the season miserably. So let's talk a little bit about these two guys, and we can take them in, in either particular order. Um, Sean Corp actually has a really nice post uh, on the front page of Detroit Padres right now showing what uh, Drummond has been able to do over the last eight games. So maybe that's a good place to start. What are you seeing from Andre Drummond recently, and what do you think is uh, is behind sort of the improvement that we've seen over the last small stretch of games? Well, I think it all definitely starts with, um, you know, abandoning this idea of uh, Andre Drummond as a back-to-the-basket type of player. I was looking back at some uh, clips earlier today and uh, looking at you know, where most of uh, Drummond's assisted baskets from Jennings and Augustine were coming from. And in the first couple weeks of the season, on um, DJ Augustine and Brandon Jennings, they were only getting uh, Drummond the ball when his back was to the basket, you know, these post-up opportunities. Past few weeks, we've been seeing more and more of uh, both of them hitting him on, you know, some pick and rolls, uh, really getting him involved in the, pa uh, the fast break opportunities. And then uh, just also, it seems like, you know, I, I don't know what Stan Van Gundy's uh, philosophy is on the offensive rebounding um, issue. You know, there are some 
coaches that uh, say that they'd be fine conceding offensive rebounds in, in favor of getting back on defense. And it, you know, certainly heard a lot of Van Gundy stressing uh, the team getting back on uh, to close off transition opportunities for, uh, for opposing offenses. But uh, we've really seen um, Andre Drummond's offensive rebounding numbers spike the past couple weeks and see Last night against Detroit, we saw a lot of tip opportunities where he was able to uh, get in there and uh, get some easy baskets that way. But um, the the biggest thing I think with uh, with Drummond is just uh, abandoning the the idea that he's ready to be a back to basket player. The way to really he's got the potential to be a twenty and you know twelve, twenty and thirteen, fourteen player, but it's not going to come with isolating him against an opposing defender. There are some times that we can see him against a, a uh, scrawny uh, big man, you know, one of those uh, lean dudes, where he can just back them up and uh, get them in position and he can get a, a decent shot up on them. But most uh, defensive players in this league, he's not going to be able to pull that off. The, the way that Andre Drummond's going to be successful is on things like, you know, the pick and roll. Uh, he's a great weak side finisher, finding, putting himself in position where he can, uh, you know, receive a pass, pass and close it off. And uh, probably the biggest thing that I've noticed lately with the point guard for the Pistons is the ability to really facilitate the pick and roll. We saw uh, Will Bynum, Rodney Stuckey really run the pick and roll nicely with Andre Drummond. But early on in the season, Jennings and Augustine seem to struggle pretty heavily with it. And I, I think that, you know, I, I was looking really closely at uh, DJ Augustine in particular on this. When he was running the pick and roll back with the balls, the way he would run it is that he, uh, Taj Gibson, Joaquin Noah, and Carlos Boozer, all those guys can knock down the mid-range shot. And so what he would do was he would uh, come through the pick and roll and be able to attack one of the big man defenders, get that guy to close out on uh, on on him on Augustine, and uh, leave the big man wide open for a little you know seven foot nine foot jump shot. But obviously none of Detroit's uh, big men can hit that jumper. But Andre Drummond, the way he runs a pick and roll is a lot different. You know the way he uh, is able to be successful is that he. The point guard needs to be able to, you know, attack that elbow and attack that, that area of the paint to make the uh, opposing defender hang with him, whether it's with uh, Will Bynum or Rodney Stuckey. Both of those two are going to be able to draw the amount of tension that, um, you know, nobody's going to be rotating over to Andre Drummond. He sneaks on past the defense. And they just lob it up, he dunks them on in nice and easy. Neither DJ Augustin or Brandon Jennings are, you know, big in the paint type of guys. But we, we've seen a little bit more with both of those two um, being able to control the pace on those pick and rolls and, you know, get a little chemistry going. It might not be quite as natural as, you know, some of those other point guards we've seen in the past work with Drummond, but at least they're figuring stuff out. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think. It's worth looking at championship rosters over the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And and even within Pistons history, going back to the bad boys and the going to work crew, because there are players who can literally dominate a game without being 
dominant scorers. So, you know, I'm thinking about players like, you know, obviously Dennis Rodman, obviously Ben Wallace. But even in contemporary times, you look at a player like Tyson Chandler, who we just saw um, Wednesday night in Detroit, or a guy like DeAndre Jordan. Really good teams and championship-level teams have difference makers on offense, on defense, and on the glass. Those are really the three three big points of the game, right? I mean, when you have the ball, when the other team has the ball, and then when nobody has the ball, when there are loose balls, rebounds, and steals, and those kinds of things. And to me, De uh, Andre Drummond is already there on the glass, right? I mean, he's already a dominant rebounder, particularly on offense. He has all of the physical tools to be a dominant defender, although he's nowhere close to that right now. And I would say that the part of his game that is the least developed is his offense. And for whatever reason, the coaching staff was committed to this idea that we need to just force feed this offense and essentially it's it was sink or swim and he sank. And so I, I'm really glad to see them reversing course on that and allowing him to be the player that he already is. And and let's let's let him let the offense develop over time on the practice court. And if 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 he becomes more Tyson Chandler than Dwight Howard, that's still a fantastic thing. That's still a player that can be integral to a very successful franchise. And so I've actually been extremely encouraged about the way Andre Drummond has played in the last handful of games, but in my opinion, more importantly, the way that he's been utilized. And I think you, you really unpack the pick-and-roll part of that nicely. But then I also think just allowing him to just play and, and do the things he's already good at is only a good thing for him, and it's only a good thing uh, for the Pistons. So that's, in my opinion, probably the only bright spot uh, over the last handful of games and really over the, the course of the season is that there seems to be a light switch that's been clicked on, and uh, Andre Drummond's being used the right way again, and it's leading to a, a pretty significant jump in terms of his productivity and how that can help the Pistons win, hopefully now, um, but also over the long term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Andre Drummond is improving. Uh, what about Greg Monroe? So I think I, I made this in a comment a handful of days back. I think most NBA teams would count themselves lucky to have either one of Andre Drummond or Greg Monroe on a rookie-scale contract because both of them are going to outperform that contract. The Pistons have been in a situation the last few years where they've had both of these players on rookie contracts, and from my perspective, they have just squandered this fantastic opportunity. And um, that we've talked about Andre Drummond, so now let's talk about Greg Monroe. My opinion is that they're really wasting this year, bringing him off the bench, playing second fiddle to Josh Smith. Yeah, there's the contract situation. Yeah, there's the trade rumors. Yeah, there's what's going on with his agent. But the fact of the matter is, he's still a good player, right? He hasn't lived up to his potential, maybe. He hasn't taken huge steps forward year over year like maybe we would have wanted him to. But, and I don't know, what do you think? Are the Pistons squandering this opportunity? I mean, that's the only way I know how to think about it. But what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, amazingly so. It's, uh, you know, I, I think back to uh, the idea that Greg Monroe probably should have been Kepi Udo, or however you pronounce his name, and uh, you know the type of player that they would have gotten, uh, you know, most seasons with him. 
and uh, just how uh, oh, it seems like the franchise just quite hasn't appreciated um, you know the type of talent they've gotten out of them. And I, I, I don't know what it is, whether it's, you know, the fact that he was pretty successful early on in his first and second uh, seasons in his career, and that, you know, maybe if he would have just started looming now, they'd be like, oh, hey, look at this dude. He's, uh, he's fantastic. But it's uh, they, they definitely seem to be squandering him as a talent overall. I, I mean, Greg Monroe, uh, he hasn't been perfect over, um, over the course of the season so far. He's had a lot of trouble finishing down close, it seems. A lot of roles that haven't quite gone his way. Been a little bit more turnover-prone, kind of going back to earlier in his career. But also, at the same time, um, you know, I mean, basketball is a, a game of up and down. You have times where things are going your way and times when they're not. And it just seems like one of those periods of time where um, this is the down point of Greg Monroe, and then the upswing is really good. So uh, I I don't really know what in the world uh, um, Dan Van Gundy is looking at with them and why they would have um, why they would have chosen for him to be the one to come off the bench rather than Smith. You know I I get wanted confidence I get contract and all that sort of thing but at the end of the day you want to win game and I have trouble seeing any argument that says that. Josh, Josh Smith puts you in a better position to win basketball games than Greg Monroe. So, uh, you know, as a whole, I'm just at a loss. I, it's one of, one of those things that's uh, really frustrating for me as a fan to, you know, sit back and watch. What's really remarkable to me is that the only stretch of basketball that I can recall where the Pistons have had both Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond on the roster that they've put Drummond and Moreau together with a coherent roster was immediately after that trade for Jose Calderon. And in my opinion, that stretch of games to close out, I believe that was Drummond's rookie year, it's the only time that the Pistons have ever committed to an extended look of Andre Drummond plus Greg Monroe plus a coherent perimeter rotation. And to me, that is mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. It is mind-boggling to me that you would look at two guys who are essentially seven-footers with relatively complementary skill sets, and you you won't commit more than a 15 to 20 throwaway games in a losing season while one of them's a rookie. It, it's just mind-boggling to me that they would not commit 20 games, 10 games, 15 games, just to say, what what do we really have here, and what could this look like? To me, I will never understand it, and unfortunately, you know, my opinion is we're not going to get that chance. My opinion is Greg Monroe is is probably out the door um, come this summer, and that's really it's a missed opportunity because Greg Monroe has continued to be he's going to continue to be a reliable player, a limited player, yes, but a reliable player who can go out and get you 14 to 18 points and 8 to 11 rebounds on a consistent basis. And to me, while you would not want to explore what it would look like to build around him and, and Andre Drummond, it's just an incredibly incredibly franchise-crippling sort of missed opportunity that you're just not going to be lucky enough to get 
that many times, you know, in any given decade or any given generation of players. So to me, you know, I'm just extremely disappointed. I know Greg Monroe has been a Detroit Bad Boys favorite, and we've probably been more vocal than anybody in terms of supporting him. But I don't think any of us are blind either. It's not as if there's this blind commitment to Monroe. We we get that he's a limited player, but he's also a good player. Uh, and I think all of us who contribute to the blog are just incredibly blown away that the, the franchise never committed to them in any sort of meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think anybody on the, you know, any of our regular writers are really that infatuated with Monroe. I think that most of us would. I mean, for me, I'd put up a decent argument that, well, I, I don't know that my argument itself would be decent, but, you know, my thought is that Kyle Singler has been about as important to this team as Greg Monroe over the past two years or so. Um, you know, thanks to Singler's versatility and uh, being one of the few guys on the team who can uh, knock down an open jump shot. But, you know, um, as to your point about the, you know, what type of franchise would throw away this opportunity, uh, really, it seems to me like the type of thing where you've got, you know, let's say we're looking at uh, the LA Clippers in, you know, 2013, where You've got a, a young Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan on the same team, but instead you decide to go and put Lamar Odom in a power forward instead of, uh, and you know, I don't know, move Blake Griffin over to center, and eventually DeAndre Jordan goes and walks. Um, but, hey, at least you got those couple seasons of Lamar Odom uh, taken care of. It's <laughs> depressing, but it's a... Uh, uh, it seems to me, you know, a, a fair comparison. Uh, we took a look um, not long ago at a couple of the better uh, front courts in the league who were under a certain age. And the only team better in the league was uh, the Clippers with Blake and Jordan. So I, I don't know. It feels like an apt comparison to me. Yeah, it, I just have this awful sense of foreboding that it's just a massive opportunity missed, and it's. It's the kind of opportunity that you just don't get as a franchise very often. I mean, we were literally gifted Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond at the back end of the lottery, and if both of those drafts were redone, their top five picks, Andre Drummond's probably goes number two or three. And uh, to fail to capitalize on that opportunity to me is, is to use a DBB meme, it's a massive mistake. <laughs> and uh, we're at a position where it, it hurts to say this. The best thing that might happen for the Pistons as a result of drafting Greg Monroe is trading him for a future draft draft pick. And to me, that's a colossal failure. Um, but, but with that said, you know, my assumption now is Greg Monroe's gone. I, I mean, that's just kind of the working assumption I'm going with. And let's play hypothetical. Let's both, just for the sake of conversation, assume that's going to be the case. Greg Monroe's not going to be a Piston next year. What's the best-case scenario? I mean, to me, worst-case scenario is losing him for nothing. But do the Pistons try to flip him now for, you know, whatever sort of future asset they could get? Or should they hold on to him and hope for a fortuitous sign-and-trade over the summer? You know, in my opinion, the best thing for the Pistons right now is to win ball games. They... They, uh, you know, they're they're obviously <laughs> not in the playoff conversation right now, but the playoff conversation right now in the Eastern Conference is kind of ridiculous. 
um, you know, you can kind of trip and fall and uh, still land in the uh, in the Eastern Conference playoff, uh, especially because you just saw one of the um, one of the playoff teams over there trade away their star player, and uh, Boston earlier tonight traded away Rajon Rondo. So the Pistons right now, yeah, they're uh, what? Uh, they're 13th in the um, Eastern Conference, but they're so they've won five games. The team in the eight seed right now has won 10 games. I, I mean, the Pistons ought to be fighting for a playoff spot right now. Go win some basketball games. Go build this team. You know, we don't need to wait for the future to happen. We've got some decent talent on this roster. Uh, Greg Monroe, he's going to help us you know, get there. He's a really good basketball player and uh, the type of guy who can um, can can help this team win. But, you know, still at the same time being realistic, uh, we've got to look at our long-term uh, picture here. And if we can flip Greg Monroe into someone who helps us win quicker, you know, fits the team better, uh, well, and really, I, I don't think uh, most players are going to fit the team better. I, I do think that Greg Monroe is a great fit with Andre Drummond. Like you said, kind of ideal. If I were uh, putting a power forward next to uh, Greg Monroe, or I mean, if I were putting a power forward next to Andre Drummond, even before being able to shoot, the number one thing I'd want him to do is pass. Because Andre Drummond, you know, he does a great job sneaking up on the weak side, and a power forward being able to spot him down there, it's just, uh, you know, fish in a barrel. But, uh, if, if uh, Greg Monroe is a catalyst in getting us someone who's going to move the needle long-term and being a long-term picture, and then that obviously is more important than what happened just this year. But, yeah, the, the big thing that I'd like to see um, Greg Monroe help us do is just uh, win right away. I, I don't think that we need to be focusing on uh, four or five years from now. I think this team's ready to go. Yeah, I think... You know, my dream scenario is that you just bench Jeff Smith, you consider him a sunk cost, and you roll with Monroe, Drebko, and Drummond. Um, but for the sake of debate, I think my assumptions are Greg Monroe's gone, and Van Gundy actually is committed to Josh Smith for reasons I don't understand. And if if those two things are true, the thought of just letting Greg Monroe walk for nothing, to me as a franchise, the Pistons can't let that happen. So they're going to have to figure out a way to to flip him, I think. I just don't think you can af afford to lose him for nothing. Um, there, I, I would imagine there would have to be somebody willing to give up a first-round pick for Greg Monroe. That, um, even if it's a rental, there's got to be somebody who would want to add him to make a push. But to me, again, if, if Van Gundy really is committed to Josh Smith and if Greg Monroe's likely to be gone, I don't think the Pistons can afford to lose him for nothing. they got to figure out something. Because if, if Greg Monroe, if and when he leaves, your plan at power forward is Josh Smith. Um, so you got to do something to bring in some assets, even if it's a year or two down the road in terms of a draft pick. Um, I just can't see how they can afford to just let him go via free agency and not get anything out of him. Yeah, you know, I, I know where you're coming from for that. Well, when I, when I look back at this team a couple years ago, we were really asset poor. You know, we didn't have really any youth to this team at all. But right now, we, we've we got a decent uh, group of young players uh, with 
Drummond being 21, uh, Enwitty and Cal Caldwell Pope, I think, are also 21. Um, Tony Mitchell, hell, he's probably not going to amount to much at this point, but also 21-year-old. So, so they've got a decent group of young players. So, you know, I, I feel like in a vacuum, it's, uh, it's awful letting him walk for nothing. You know, it would be a shame if we didn't get anything out of him. But also, you know, I feel like it's something that we can survive. But, you know, the, the larger point that I think you mentioned on there was what is his trade value? And with Ray John Rondo being traded um, here, you know, just uh, right before we uh, got on this uh, broadcast, it was uh, Ray John Rondo went for Brandon Wright, Jay Crowder, Jamar Nelson, a first-round pick, a second-round pick. Holy crap. I mean... That's a haul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it really says that, uh, that Greg Monroe has some significant value out there on that market. It's interesting because Dallas is definitely – they've had a nice start to the season, right? And this is a kind of go-all-in-now kind of trade where you've got Tyson Chandler healthy, you've got Dirk healthy. It's an all-in sort of I'm pushing all my chips in and we're going to try to go after it one more time with Dirk. Um one thing I do wonder about is, is there a team out west who would be willing to make, I mean, even half of that value? I would accept a trade with half of that value for Greg Monroe at this point, not because I don't like him, just because of where we are as a team. I struggle, though, to figure out who that team would be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, def I definitely think there are. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the Spurs, you know, they're living year to year right now. And... Uh, with with the you know older uh, corpus that they have, with Tiago Splitter being uh, having some injury issues, I could see that being a definite team that would be interested. Uh, the Blazers they uh, they apparently made a significant offer over the off season. They don't have a whole lot of depth. Um, Chris Kamen is the guy, the big man who's playing most of the minutes there behind uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, and isn't Robin Lopez hurt right now? Yeah, that's my understanding. I don't know the extent of the injury, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't pay much attention to any uh, NBA team that's not the Pistons. Uh, <laughs> but you know, also uh, Oklahoma City being one of those teams that is going to be charging fast and furious to you know make sure that they uh, get a spot in the playoffs and being able to make a run. I I definitely think that there are some teams out west that would. I, I think a first-round pick for Greg Monroe for some of these teams would be um, that be that would be something this needs. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think Oklahoma City is interesting because if they can by by you know by February, so say Greg Monroe is still a piston by then, if they're back in the mix, which they've played pretty well since Duran and Westbrook have come back, if they're still in the mix, they have a couple young younger players because you, you have. Remember, when training Greg Monroe, I know you know this, but there has to be a player exchange as well because the contracts have to match under the CBA. So there are players on contracts similar to Greg Monroe's that if accompanied by a first-round pick, I would be okay with. So Oklahoma City might be an interesting thing to watch because they could certainly use an additional scorer. Um, and, man, thinking about Monroe next to Ibaka, that's a really, to me... That's a really interesting and explosive and dynamic uh, starting five when you think about what they could have up front 
and in the backcourt. That's an incredibly versatile uh, offense that could that could work. So that would be a, that would be definitely one destination that comes to mind. And well, and uh, and think about uh, Houston too. With um, I I guess they have Jason Terry on their roster these days. Uh, <laughs> I guess they got him from Sacramento for something or another. But those two contracts would swap right out and uh, you know get a first round pick out of uh, out of that that deal. And Greg Monroe is another scoring threat there to replace what um, Chandler Parsons uh, uh, left them for over there. You know, I, I could really see if if the Pistons were willing to make a bidding war for Greg Monroe, that um, the teams would start crawling over each other. Yeah. So I guess there are more teams than I was initially thinking. Yeah, you're right. Portland, Houston. I, I, I would have said Dallas before this Rondo trade, but I think that that becomes more unlikely with the Rondo yeah. trade. Um, yeah, I don't know what they could give us anymore. Yeah, so I, I think him going somewhere... In the East, probably makes less sense because I'm not sure there's a team in the East that would maybe feel like adding Greg Monroe gives them a real chance at a championship. Um, but yeah, so maybe there are more suitors than I was initially thinking, and I, I legitimately would I would feel bad as a fan to see Greg Monroe stripped out for a draft pick. I, I would it would emphasize sort of all the things I was talking about earlier, where I feel like it, it's just a failure at a systemic level to see that happen, but at the same time, if, if he's going to walk anyway, and that's my assumption, they have to recoup something uh, over the long term is my feeling. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely uh, I definitely see where you're coming from for that. It's, uh, it, it would definitely be a bummer. Um, uh, uh, for me, you know, I, I'd rather make a push. I'd rather just stick Josh Smith at the end of the bench, uh, push forward and try winning as many games as we can, get this franchise moving in the right direction. But, you know, uh, if one of those teams was going to make a competitive offer and then, you know, it's a tough, it'd be tough to say no. And, I mean, a first-round pick for Monroe is a bummer, but it, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel you that it, it would have, you'd have to be strongly considering it. Yeah. So with your comment about Josh Smith getting sent to the end of the bench, I, I totally am with you. I mean, that's my ideal scenario. He's considered a sunk cost, and he goes to the end of the bench. And the guy, to me, who replaces him in the rotation, in the first place is Greg Monroe starting, but then beyond that, in my opinion, it would be Jonas Drebko. And Jonas, I will admit, I am biased in his favor. I love that he plays hard. I love that he moves without the ball. I love that when he runs the court, he runs the court. And... You know, I even in some ways love his limitations because he he looks kind of goofy when he goes to the basket and his sweeping hook isn't always all that pretty. But in my opinion, he's the, the most overlooked guy on this roster right now. And after last night, just a wonderful fourth quarter that he put together against Dallas, Jonas Jerebko actually leads the Pistons and wins produced for 48 minutes right now. And to me, you know, he's having – he's quietly having sort of a career season that no one in the world is noticing because the Pistons are just so god-awful. And, and to me, here's my question. How much better does Jonas Jerebko have to play to get a consistent role in the Pistons' rotation? I mean, this team has nothing to lose. They are terrible. They are 5-21. and 21. And every time Jonas gets a look, 
he plays well. What on earth does he have to do to prove that he's a rotation caliber player that really should be playing over Josh Smith and even at times over Greg Monroe? I don't know. What are your thoughts about Jonas? I, I'm, I admit I'm biased because I like him, but, but I also think he's playing really well and deserves a shot. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it is. It's unbelievable, you know, that um, that Drebko's playing as well as he is. And, uh, you know, I, I I think it, you know, underscores whatever type of ulterior motives exist with Josh Smith that, for me, I can't comprehend. Uh, it's, you know, it's not really fathomable. But, like, with Drebko, he's been as effective, if not more effective, produced as many wins as uh, our best players in half the number of minutes. He really has been really good. And, you know, Ben, you and I, we uh, disagreed pretty fervently about uh, three years ago, I think it was, when uh, Lawrence Frank was around about Drabco, that, you know, when he was struggling and Frank pulling him out. But at this point, the last two years, Drabco's been an extremely above-average basketball player. He belongs on the court. There's really no excuse for him being, um, you know, marginalized the way that he has. And with this season in particular, I, I can't imagine any reason that Josh Smith is playing ahead of Jonas Jarebko other than the name on the back of the jersey. There's, there's one thing that Josh Smith has been doing um, that, you know, stands out It's with his passing game. You know, he certainly, uh, he certainly deserves credit for the fact that he has been... Um, he has, what, a uh, 26% assist uh, percentage. It's a career high for him, I believe. And he's done this nifty little thing where he'll just drive through the middle of the lane and flick it out to uh, to some uh, perimeter player who will, you know, have a wide open look. He's also actually, and kind of unbelievably, he leads all uh, Pistons players and assists to Greg Monroe. Uh, he's been able to hook up with him pretty cool pretty well in uh, transition opportunities. Does a nice job of finding Drummond when he slips behind uh, the, the defense to be able to hook up with him that way. So, you know, but still, that's not enough to be playing uh, Josh Smith consistently ahead of Jonas Drebko when you are looking at a true shooting percentage difference. Of Josh Smith's true shooting percentage is 42%, and Jonas Drebko's true shooting percentage is 58%. We're looking at things like the Pistons are having a hell of a time converting on opportunities inside of the arc. They're, the what, 29th, I believe, 29th in the league, uh, finishing baskets inside the arc. Well, um, Jonas Drebko's finishing at his two-point percentage right now is 56.5. He's, I believe, number one on the team in that uh Let's see. No, Joel Anthony has him beat slightly, thanks to his 59 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, Jonas Drapko, he solved so many problems for this team. Uh, and, you know, I, I can see why, um, you know, Van Gundy has been loath to move Josh Smith. I, I can see why, but they're all wrong reasons. Jonas Drapko is the guy who gives you a better chance to win basketball games. He's producing really effectively. He does a lot of things well. Plays hard. He actually, and you know, I, I think at this point that's something that really matters. Uh, you know, when you're when you're watching this team, a lot of times they just get into these stretches where you're just looking at them like, you know, you kind of want to poke them with a stick and ask, "Do you really give a shit?" 
Jonas Jarebko always does. Yeah, and that, to me, that's the thing. Last night, and again, when this gets posted, it won't be last night. So Wednesday night against Dallas, when he got in the game, I won't say, I, you know, I can't say that he was the single biggest reason that the Pistons made a run, but part of me wants to say that because not only was he productive, he he looks like he cares. He looks like he wants to be out there. And, you know, as much as I love Andre Drummond, there are times when he looks like he just he doesn't run back on defense hard enough. He looks lost. Same thing with Josh Smith, and even at times Greg Monroe. And Jonas, you just don't get any of those things. He looks like he wants to be out there. He plays hard. And as much as I hate talking about intangibles, because I think a lot of times it's just silly, his energy really is contagious in the sense that it does spark something in terms of how hard the Pistons are playing. And and here's something else that's remarkable about Jonas. We talked about his shooting percentage. Right now, here are the Piston players that he is shooting better than in terms of three-pointers, right? So from his three-point percentage. KCP, Jody Meeks, Brandon Jennings, DJ Augustine. All of those guys are launching threes. KCP's taking 141 threes, right? He's shooting a lot of three-pointers. Jonas Drebko is third on the team in three-point percentage. You already talked about his two-point percentage. For a team that can't shoot their way out of a paper bag, Jonas Jarebko makes all the sense in the world right now. And I think you're right. If, if, if the playoffs are still, still a realistic possibility, and it's unbelievable to think a team that's 5-21 and 21 could, could be in the playoff hunt, but they are, i got to wonder why Jonas Jarebko isn't getting a look, and I've got to hope that somehow he gets a chance. Because linking back to what I said earlier, he's the kind of player that win or lose, as a fan, I can get behind. Regardless of the win-loss record, he plays hard, he works hard, he's not selfish, he scraps, he runs, he dives for loose balls, he he goes after rebounds. He's the kind of player that for me as a Pistons fan, a team that's always been sort of a blue-collar team, I can cheer for regardless of winning or losing. So for me as a fan, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping really for a couple of things. Josh Smith to get benched and or traded. And I really would love to see Jonas get some burn because for all the reasons I stated, he's just a guy I love cheering for. You know, and I, I think uh, they, when you're looking at the, um, the attendant uh, figures that – that the Pistons are by far worst, uh, worst in the league attendance-wise. Um, that that that's one of the things that comes into play is you don't want to go and watch an NBA game and watch people just coasting, going through the motions and coasting. Uh, that's one of the knocks that you get against the NBA. Why people don't really care about it. Why if you talk to the average person who's like, oh yeah, I love the uh, love the NFL, but I can't watch the NBA. NBA because they don't really care. I much prefer college basketball. That's usually the the excuse that they're going to give you. And um, you know, a guy like Jonas, he's you know, people don't fill the stands for names. They fill the name. They fill the stand for watching players who really go out there and bust their ass. And that's you know, that's Jonas. And and I think the Pistons, you know, they do need more guys like that. By and large, are filled with nice guys. One of the things that I really look for with uh, Whatever moves the Pistons need to make, they need they need to make moves for fiery players, uh, guys who are going out there and really demonstrating that they uh, that they care. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. So my hope is to see a little more Jonas. I think, one, he helps the team win. Two, he's a guy I can cheer for even if they're not winning because of the way yeah. he plays, and, and I'd be fully in support of that. Yeah. You, you know, speaking of the draft, do you uh, you pay any attention to it at this point with it being a 5-21 and 21 season? Uh, are you kind of figuring, angling for the draft pick, or are you, uh, you know, still hoping that we can right the ship and uh, make a run? So, personally, I I always want the Pistons to win. I mean, I want to see the team be successful. And I do legitimately think that if you subtracted Josh Smith from this team, and in spite of all of its other limitations, you're looking at a team that has the capacity to win 35, maybe 37 games, and if they play perfectly... You know, DJ Augustine bounced back and all that kind of stuff. Maybe even a 500 team there. So for me, again, my ideal scenario is Josh Smith glued to the bench and playing, you know, just under 500 basketball. I would love to see that happen. That would be potentially good enough um, to have the privilege of playing Cleveland <laughs> in the first round of the playoffs. But I would rather have that than a lottery pick um, because I think that demonstrates – it demonstrates progress, and I think that is more important than a lottery pick to the Pistons right now. I would rather see them win than get a pick. Um, that said, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that we're going to see that happen, so um, I will probably start looking at the mock drafts a little earlier than I normally do. I normally don't start paying attention to the draft personally until after the trade deadline has passed because I'm always holding out hope that there could be a trade to improve the team. But how about you? What are you looking at? What's your, you know, if if you're looking at draft boards, are you hoping for wins? I mean, you talked a lot about wins. What's your perspective on that? Well, you know, I, I, I do like the draft. I, I get in, uh, I have a, I enjoy, um, you know, keeping an eye on it. So, uh, so you know, I'm always paying attention to it. But, um, heck, the, the team right now that is the number and no, number six seed team in the Eastern Conference won 15 games last year. You know, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, so it's 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 one of those things that you know I think that the playoffs legitimately are within reach for the Pistons. This is one of the, the Eastern Conference is one of those things where it's uh, week to week. And then in addition to that. Even if we do, let's say we get the number one, number two, number three pick in the draft or something like that. <laughs> uh, your, uh, your guy Dave Barry, he had the, this tweet earlier today. Well, actually, maybe it was yesterday. Uh, it was, all rookie picks this year have combined for negative .2 wins. Yeah. So, you know, even if the Pistons do, say, win, go and... Find themselves in the number two spot behind the 76ers. Is a is an 18 year old really going to make that much of a difference? There, it, that just means that you know maybe in five years the Pistons will be in position to be able to be competitive. And to me, that doesn't really mean much. I when I'm looking at this year's draft, I'm seeing guys who are around the 10, 11, 12, uh, you know, mark that are interesting. I think that the Pistons are fine being around that area. I, I don't think that it really behooves them going and tanking this year, uh, going and losing another year of Andre Drummond's rookie contract, uh, putting him in the position where, you know, he's going to 
be sick of this franchise too. Let's, you know, go and start doing things that make sense and winning some games. And uh, the Eastern Conference is just so ridiculously bad that if you're not trying to win, and then it seems like you're really choosing not to take advantage of uh, a situation that, you know, that really plays in your benefit. It seems like, you know, you're looking at a $100 bill that you're choosing not to pick up because you think that there may be some bigger bill right around the corner. I, it's, uh, I, I think that the Pistons need to just go and win. They need to do what makes sense for them this season and let the future just sort of come as it may. But also at the same time, one of the things that we've always been missing out on is we talk a lot about, um, I, I know me and Mike, Mike Payne, um, I, you, Kevin, uh, it seems like we all talk about the idea of efficient, economical type of players that we're looking for. The Pistons have gotten a few of those. You know, like Jody Meek seems to be the type of guy who is efficient. You know, Augustine at times has been efficient, and um, the the Pistons really need to be focusing on making sure that they are acquiring that type of player for whatever it is that they're doing moving forward. So, in terms, let's win. Let's win as soon as we can, but let's also make sure that we're doing it in a sustainable way. Yeah, and I think I want to link back to this idea about. Andre Drummond and his future. And I don't want to go all, you know, Armageddon apocalyptic here, but Greg Monroe took the qualifying offer, and that almost never happens. The Pistons, I think, have to be thinking forward as it relates to Andre Drummond, and I don't think they can afford to continue to be this bad if they really do want to retain Drummond over the long term because they're going to have a very, you know, very likely they're going to have a very recent experience of, of Greg Monroe leaving because the team is so bad. So I think I agree with you. It behooves the Pistons to start winning, not only because it's a better thing for the franchise and the fans and everybody, but because I really don't think a lottery pick moves the needle right away. And I think the Pistons need to start getting better if they want to retain Andre Drummond, who to me – is a franchise-caliber player that you absolutely want to retain. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I would like to see us win. I think that's the direction the team really does need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I, you know, I had another question for you about uh, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. You mentioned about the number of threes that he's been taking overall. It's a... Uh, it's been an interesting year for Caldwell-Pope. What's been your take for him uh, as a player so far? My take on KCP is basically the same as it was last year. And that is that if he can learn to stop pressing on the offensive side of the ball, stop forcing difficult shots, I think he can be effective. I I don't think he's going to be great, but I think he can be effective. And I think a lot of young players do this. They take poor shots. It seems like the, they feel this pressure that in order to stay in the game, they have to score points. And KCP is good at things that are not scoring. He's good on the defensive side of the ball. He's the Pistons' best perimeter defender. I think if he just simply passed on maybe three to four shots a game that aren't really good looks, I think he could be much more effective. And that that's something that either, one, he's going to have to get really good at making hard shots, or two, he's going to have to start passing up some of those bad looks 
and and I think realistically, he needs to just stop passing, <laughs> stop taking some of those tough shots, because they're just very difficult shots, and very few NBA basketball players can make them. So I'd like to see him just pull back a little bit on offense, and to use a cliche, let the game come to him, so to speak, and then focus on the non-scoring parts of the game where he really can make a difference for the team. And I, I think if he does that, if he makes that adjustment, he can carve out a really nice NBA career for himself. But what's your take? That's my take. What do you, what do you think about him? Yeah, yeah, and I, I know what you mean. Like, he, he does just seem to take a lot of shots that just, you know, they're, they're off balance, they're, um, they're just not good looks, they're low percentage scores. And in the big scheme of things, I, I he doesn't really take as many shots as it sometimes feels like. You know, like we look at a box score, I, I think it was last night he shot 15 times, and, uh, you know, we, we look at the box score and see those numbers. But on the, the first... Per 36, he's per 36, he's seventh on the team in a field goal attempts. So it's not like he's taking a, a huge volume, but it does don't feel like he's just taking a lot of bad shots. I feel like one of the big things that would uh, lead to a big uptick for KCP is uh, getting to the line. Looking back at his college career, well, we we see that big jump he made in true shooting from 49% to uh, 58%. And that also corresponded with a, a huge jump in his free throws. He went from uh, two and a half free throws a game to uh, he more than doubled that to 5.2. And he's a, a pretty solid free throw shooter, uh, not this year, but in previous seasons. And so, you know, I, I think that if he, like you said, eliminated a lot of those uh, bad shots, turned those into, you know, attacking the rim, looking for free throws, that that could go a long way for him. But also at the same time, I, I just think he's been put in over his head this season. Guy's 21 years old. He's um, number one on the team in minutes uh, this season, and he's number two on the team in uh, field goal attempts. And that's just too much responsibility to be putting on a player his age who didn't have a tremendous rookie year. You know, I understand that Jody Meeks was out of commission for a lot of the season, but still, it's not really a fair spot to be put in, especially when you've got guys like Kyle Singler and Crom Butler who have played the shooting guard in the past. It feels like it really should have been, the pressure should have been distributed a little bit more evenly. I like KCP's long-term potential, but I, I feel like he got some strides he needs to make development-wise. And I think uh, that starts with taking better shots, like you said, and uh, just getting to the rim and uh, drawing some contact, getting to the stripe. Yeah, and I think the Pistons as a whole, shot selection is, is poor. And in my opinion, a lot of the shots don't need to be as bad as they are because there's plenty of time left on the shot clock. And I think you see this in particular with Josh Smith. I mean, anytime he launches a 17-foot jumper with more than five seconds on the clock, it's a horrible shot. There's no reason that shot should ever happen. And I see this occasionally from KCP as well, where he gets the ball early in the shot clock, and he tends to drive toward the baseline and take a 17-foot pull-up jumper. And that's just not a high-percentage look, and it's not a look that needs to be taken. And so I think some of that is is a problem for the whole team. It's not just KCP. But those are looks that need to improve because there's just no reason. It's an unforced error, so to speak, and it, it's not something that 
it's not like he's taking shot clock, shots to beat the shot clock all the time. They're just shots that maybe they were good looks when he was at Georgia and he was the only guy on the team who was capable of sort of individual output. And, and they're just shots he can pass up. And I think if he does, everything starts to look better for him. And then as a team, if the, the team can sort of get into the same mentality, I think the offense is going to get a little bit better as it is. So. Hopefully with Judy coming back, we'll see a little bit better uh, performance out of just everybody out on that wings. Yeah, and I think you're right about KCP. Sort of this season has been by necessity to some extent. I think Kyle Singler probably could have taken some of those minutes early on at shooting guard. But with Meeks out, there wasn't really much of an alternative. So I, I do think Meeks probably should become the starter, and I, I would like to see some of that pressure. I would like to see KCP have a well-defined role in which he isn't forced to score. And I think for the long term, that's probably the best path forward for his development. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel you. Where his uh, primary role on offense is swinging the ball around rather than uh, putting it on a. If he's got an open three, take it. If he's got an open lane to the basket and he can get to the line, do that, as you were saying. But I think he can afford to be a little bit more patient than he's been. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's transition kind of to the, the last topic that we've got on the list, and that is teams that seem to be projected as the most active on the trade market between now and the February trade deadline. You pointed out a tweet from, I'm not even going to bother to try to pronounce his last name, I'll just call him Waj because that's what everyone else does. Um, the Pistons are on the list of teams projected to be on the phones, uh, along with a few others. Um, what do you think the prospects are for a trade between now and the trade deadline? You know, I mean, I just have trouble seeing how the Pistons could not be uh, making a trade with the way that they've been playing. And, you know, all most of the players on this roster are not being fan-banged on these guys. Uh, I'm surprised that a trade hasn't happened up to this point. I, um, You know, I'm not sure what the ammo behind that is, but, um, you know, hopefully we just, you know, do see, like, you never want to see a, tr a trade just for uh, movement's sake. But, I, I, I think that, you know, there are a few spots where uh, some trades certainly make a lot of sense. You mentioned earlier in the discussion how the roster as a whole just doesn't seem to be moving in a um, consistent direction, not moving in a, uh, there's no flow to it. You've got just this mismatch of players and a mismatch of agents, and uh, there's just no consistency there. Now the, uh, the Woj, I, I don't know how you print Adrian Woj, you know, Yahoo uh, superstar, the <laughs> probably the number one sports reporter out there these days. I think everyone knows who we're talking about. Uh, he uh, he talked about the most active teams right now, I mean, the Celtics, the Pistons, Sun, Timberwolves, the Hornets, Clippers, Pacers, Nets, Nuggets, and Rockets. And every single one of those teams a lot of sense why they be looking at moves. And um, I think a few of them make a lot of sense with the Pistons. Uh, with the Pistons, I think, you know, they're kind of in this position where they're both buyers and sellers. They are, you know, they have some roles that they need to fill. They have some areas that they could certainly strengthen up. And they also, um, you know, have some dead weight that they would love to get rid of if the right opportunity uh, came along. With the Pistons, we're not a very, we're not very strong at point guard. You know, no matter what folks think about um, Brandon Jennings, whether or not there's still uh, some superstar there in the making um, who just has some light bulb that needs to go off. At, at this point, we're 
we're not an above average team at point guard. We're on in the bottom ten in the NBA or so. And then also uh, our shooting has been terrible. We could certainly use some uh, some more shooters uh, to help space the floor. You know, make it so that teams are being punished for rotating in on the the pick and roll, shutting that off on Andre Jump Drummond, and also doubling down on uh, Greg Monroe. And then um, you know, a team that would take Josh Smith. I mean, whoever <laughs> whoever wants him, uh, he's just uh, go ahead and give us a call. We'll give him up cheap. <laughs> Interestingly, too, um, I was chatting with Vincent Goodwill on Twitter very briefly during the game last night um, about Jonas Drebko, and I think I tweeted something out, like I said earlier, you know, how much better does he have to play to get a look? Goodwill tweeted back to me that, you know, if Monroe's not going to be here next year, something to the effect of, you know, Jonas is a free agent as well, and he may not even make it past the trade deadline. I think for some of the teams that are a little bit more analytically savvy and they need depth, maybe an eighth man or a ninth man to help bolster the rotation for the sake of playoff positioning, Jonas might be a nice little addition because he doesn't make much money. It's a not any money passed this year, and he's playing well. So I actually wonder if Jonas Drebko could be um, flipped into something, assuming he doesn't want to come back to the Pistons, uh, or if he could be combined with something else as a sweetener because... He doesn't make a lot of money, and he's playing well. So to me, our trade assets, you talked about being asset poor in the past. I think Brandon Jennings, I would try to sell high on him. I think Jonas makes a nice little sweetener. But then anything other than Andre Drummond should be on the table. I mean, I don't think anyone has differentiated themselves as somehow untouchable. So I think anyone and everyone should be on the table. I think asset-wise, Drebko's a little asset. Um... Jennings, maybe, because he started off the season really well. And then Greg Monroe, those are really the assets. And if there's a way to get rid of Josh Smith, by all means, let's do it. I, I would definitely put uh, KCP ahead of uh, Brandon Jennings. As a trade asset, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. I should have uh, mentioned him, yeah. I, I think it would be unfortunate to move any either of Andre Drummond or KCP being you know two of our strongest young prospects. And then also... Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, even though he hasn't really gotten into the game much, um, I think he's probably shown enough that he, uh, hell, he, 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 should, he should be playing more. <laughs> With how bad our point guards have been, he really ought to be getting into the game. Everybody else, yeah, absolutely. And, and even, you know, KCP and uh, Dinwiddie for the right price and for the right prospect, certainly they should all be on the table. Probably most players figure when you're 5-21, and 21, that's the nature of the game. Yeah, I agree, and I think that our own Detroit Bad Boys community is a little bit divided on whether or not KCP should be on the table, but I'm with you. I mean, I like him as a prospect. I like him as a second or third shooting guard, but realistically, he has not done enough to make himself untouchable by any stretch of the imagination, and if the Pistons can make themselves better now or in the future, I think he he should absolutely be on the block um, because... Unfortunately, you know, I had high hopes for him. I really liked the pick, but his offensive game is just is just not there. And if there's another team that could swap assets with us, so to speak, I would definitely be interested. Yeah, uh, you know, with KCP, I think he's two years, maybe three years away from uh, really being a above par starting shooting guard. And in the meantime, we're we're having to work our way through his uh, his struggles. I do have trouble seeing a lot of our players being um, guys that 
other teams would particularly value. Uh, Greg Monroe, I think that we saw uh, a signal of what his value looked like with uh, the Rondo trade, as I mentioned. Shoot, I was just blown away by how much uh, Boston got out of Rondo. But everybody else, I, I don't think that we'd really get much out of them. Brandon Jennings, I think that if we just got an expiring contract out of Brandon Jennings, I think a team would be expecting us to be satisfied. I could see us, you know, taking on some... I think Jose Calderon is a player that um, I mentioned in the comment section on De Detroit Bad Boys, uh, who makes a lot of sense for uh, for the Pistons. You know, he's a guy who really pushes the the team in a direction that it needs to go in terms of perimeter shooting, in terms of moving the ball around and intelligent basketball. You know, he's not a defender by any means, but the Pistons have done a nice job shutting down the the inside. Uh, he's going to give up that mid-range jump shot, but so what? We've been giving it up anyways. But uh, outside of a guy like him on a team that's really selling, I'm, I'm not sure what opportunities there are out there. For some of these teams, I really wonder what their overall MO is. Like for a team like the Sun, you know, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to get over the hump or are they trying... Are they trying to get younger, acquire some draft picks? Uh, the Timberwolves, I would figure that they're probably just trying to accumulate some picks, uh, maybe trying to move Thaddeus Young for, uh, for a pick. Um, maybe Kevin Martin or um, Pekovic, who's been injured all year. It's, oh, the, for instance, the Pacers, you know, are they trying to make a push at the playoffs? It's kind of, I'm, I'm curious to think about, you know, what it is that they're shooting for. Yeah, well, as long as the Pacers don't send back Rodney Stuckey, I would be fine with the trade with the Pacers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that the assets, air quotes, assets the Pistons have are particularly attractive. I would just, I would like to be able to be future focused though on the trade market, and I think we have a couple small pieces. I could envision a, a trade of Greg Monroe and Jonas Jerebko to somebody else for at least, you know, at least one pick, maybe an additional second rounder. And something useful. I mean, I could, I can envision that kind of a trade happening, but I definitely don't see us having the air quotes assets to bring in any sort of blockbuster deal because I don't think anybody's really at all interested in yeah. uh, what the Pistons are going to be selling. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and and if uh, if Ray John Rondo can bring in a first round pick, and then so can Greg Monroe, it's um, at the at the end of the day, these uh, these guys who are going for the 20th plus uh, pick in the first round, they're not going to have a huge amount of value. Um, I think a team like the Spurs or uh, uh, maybe the Rockets, who who may be looking to add on some pieces, that they they probably would uh, or the Thunder probably wouldn't balk too heavily at bringing uh, on Greg Monroe for a first round pick. Uh, whether they give up a pick for uh, Drabko, I don't know. Um, but, but I could see a team that's in need of a, um, you know, a hustle player, a, a three-point shooter, a stretch big man. Heck, and the, the Spurs may be. Uh, I, I could see them, uh, you know, willing to part with a young asset. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, Drebko could be a sweetener, I think is yeah. how I perceive it. Well, and, you know, one team that I think is going to be really interesting to see how they respond to... Um, Dallas making this big move is another really aggressive, active team in uh, the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I think Maury is, is, I think, analytically minded, 
And I think um, I think a guy like Greg Monroe would be the kind of guy that he would potentially want to take a shot with. I don't know enough about their cap situation to know if they really have the ability to retain him, though, after the end of the year. Do you know off the top of your head? Well, uh, I, I don't think that they have a whole lot of flexibility room. Yeah, but even so, I think you they're a team that does Greg Monroe give them another option? And I think the, the obvious answer to that is yes. And I think uh, they've also got a, a trade exception, if I'm not mistaken. So they're, they could be a partner. Yeah, and you're right. They, they may need to feel the need to respond because Dallas just got quite a bit better, I think, uh, by acquiring Rondo. So um, that might make a lot more sense now than it did a few hours ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's going to be kind of ridiculous. The uh, uh, A team's going to need to win, like, 60 games to make the Western Conference playoffs and then 30 games to win the, to make the Eastern. It's, it's going to be really gross. Yeah, it is really unbalanced this year. <laughs> All right, well, um, big news, not for the Pistons, but in the NBA, Rajon Rondo's traded. I think, Steve, you're right to point out that that might mean something for the Pistons in the sense that there might be some Western Conference teams uh, looking to be adding some depth and maybe Greg Monroe um, gives them a chance to do that. So from my side, that kind of exhausts everything we wanted to talk about. We've been going for a while. So unless you have any closing thoughts, anything else you want to add before we finish up? Heck, this has been fun. I've, uh, I've enjoyed chatting with you, Ben. I uh, hope everybody's enjoyed uh, you know, listening to us to talk about the Pistons. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for everyone who's joined us. We say this every time we get done with a podcast. We're going to try to be more proactive about getting them out. Fortunately, the team's so bad that it feels like there's just not a lot to talk about other than doom and gloom. But thanks for reading and thanks for listening. And uh, let's let's try for this again next week. Let's, let's try to do it. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, we'll make it. All right, thanks, everybody. Cheers, friends. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.